in years. Friday, September 15th, CIUT 89.5 FM, Heart House Music Committee, and Great Lakes Brewery present Summer Courtyard Concerts. Join us for a night of exciting community entertainment starring artists, The Chemist, Matt Somber, and Grumpy Truck. This event is free for students and $10 for others. To purchase tickets or for more information, please visit our Instagram at CIUT 89.5 FM. This is your chance to engage with the community and enjoy an eclectic lineup of local live music. From the roots up, CIUT 89.5 FM, Toronto. So hard, don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. And as always, it's a pleasure to be with you here on the Radical Reverend Show. Yes, uh, my friends, that's what you're listening to here at CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, We continue where democracy uh, now leaves off. Um, We take it north of the border and we're talking all about the intersection in a sense of church and state, as we do. Uh, But this time it's how do you use faith and how does faith... Uh, become part of the struggle uh, to save our planet. Um, I've got two amazing guests here. Uh, We've got Lynn Adamson on the line. Uh, Welcome, Lynn, to the Radical Reverend Show. She is a Quaker leader, a social justice activist. Her name is well-known in the city of ours. And Michael Polanyi, he's uh, someone I met way back in the day at Queen's Park when I was a member of provincial parliament here and uh, an advocate back then for all issues environmental. Uh, And he's not only does that, but he's an environmentalist, a Unitarian, and an activist in Ottawa now. Um, We're going to talk about all things environmental activism and how faith might play a role in that. But first, Michael, to you. I haven't seen you in years, so (laughs) I do remember we worked on a bill together that we did get passed, right? Talk about that bicycle bill. It was the three-meter rule right yes sherry yeah uh those were those were good days uh working at queen's park together and um yeah that was one of an, I think a number of private members bills that you were involved in uh on the social justice side human rights workers rights um and uh yeah i think that one was part of a global movement around building cities that are conducive to active transportation and protecting cyclists uh from uh from motorists and uh yeah just uh i think uh you know private member bills have some influence in terms of shifting discourse and and pushing for for positive change in more sustainable cities so that was fun to work on that with you yeah and it actually came into existence you would never know it by because it's not very well enforced in this town but basically you know saying that it's the law that uh that drivers have to keep away from cyclists and give uh, cyclists safe distance. Uh, and Lynn, Lynn, our paths have crossed too. Um, so welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Uh, how you. are you? I'm pretty good, thank you. I'm pretty good, given that we all have in the back of our minds what's actually happening to our planet. You know, the planet is burning up, etc. But on a personal level, um, you know, just glad to be able to be part of that struggle. And uh, things are going well personally. Thank you. 
So let's talk about the struggle, first of all, before we talk about the faith that, ins- that informs it. Um, Michael, on to Ottawa. This is a pretty brave move. Um, what is it? Uh, well, on to Ottawa is a, a new uh, nationwide uh, group of folks, many from BC, who've been involved in uh, the struggle, nonviolent struggle to stop the logging of last old growth uh, temperate forests in BC. Uh, People, of course, know about Ferry Creek, uh, which I think was one of the largest civil disobedience uh, events, more than a thousand arrested, trying to protect those last old growth forests, which are so critical to our climate, to biodiversity, to indigenous people. Um, and, uh, and so some of those activists, uh, I think they were feeling uh, a bit on the margins in terms of trying to influence the national um, scene in terms of you know what we're seeing with uh, unprecedented wildfires, uh, reports indicating that we're on track for two to three degrees warming, which we all know would cause the food and food insecurity for hundreds of millions and the displacement of tens of millions from rising oceans. I mean, we we kind of have in the back of our minds the scale of disaster that is looming unless uh, we turn things around this decade. And I think there was a feeling amongst these uh, BC activists that uh, we're running out of time and uh, and we need to be doing all kinds of different engagement in terms of pushing uh, our federal government and governments around the world to radically reduce emissions in the short term, but that uh, a nonviolent civil disobedience component to that struggle is critical uh, in addressing this fundamental injustice of putting our livelihoods at risk for current and future generations. So anyway, long story, they came to Ottawa along with people from BC, Ontario, the Prairies, um, and uh, they engaged in a sustained series of actions, nonviolent civil disobedience actions over three weeks. They blocked, uh, I think, three or four major bridges. There was an action spraying uh, paint, washable paint onto a Tom Thompson painting, um, and really um, sending a message. I think 15 people were arrested. I think there were about 40 criminal charges issued. And, and it was, I think, uh, a call to action, a call to say that um, the business as usual uh, destruction of our planet is something that people are not going to quietly stand for and recognizing that we need to build a massive nonviolent civil disobedience movement in Canada but also globally if we're going to make it impossible for governments to continue to uh, do permanent damage to the planet that we all rely on. I'm glad, Michael, you said washable paint on the Tom Thompson because I could immediately almost hear the phone ringing saying, don't do that. Um, but uh, yes, and we've, we've been witnessing this for a while. I know pre-COVID, um, our church, for example, shut down um, Young and, and Dundas uh, every Wednesday for about 15 minutes, um, you know, uh, all about the climate. Uh, it, 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 it was, you know, fun got a little bit of press. You you got more press in Ottawa, but not enough, have to say, not enough. That's why we're featuring it here. Um, but at the end of the day, after the arrests, um, and we're seeing this in Europe too, hundreds, in fact, thousands have been arrested. 
do, do you really believe it has an impact? How does it have an impact? Well, I mean, I just, uh, I look back at uh, the history of nonviolent struggle, the history of social movements. I think about times when there have been deep fundamental injustices in our society. And, and of course, as I said, a range of tactics are needed. I mean, people um, need to engage in all ways in their communities, in, with elected leaders, um, in their workplaces, in their faith communities. But if you sort of think about the, some of the fundamental um, injustices and the struggles against those injustices and, and the tradition of, 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 of Gandhi and the Salt March in, in, in India, um, the struggle for independence there, um, of course the civil rights movement, the Montgomery bus boycott, the Freedom Riders in the 50s and the 60s, um, the women's suffragette movement um, in the UK and the United States. There were always um, in those movements a core of often faith-based activists who um, were very disciplined in their nonviolence. They faced extreme violence uh, and uh, used a variety of tactics to send a strong message that um, what was going on in society was fundamentally immoral, fundamentally unacceptable, fundamentally inhumane, uh, and that um, these people were going to act lovingly and according to their conscience and they were going to accept the costs that they face and that, that was extended imprisonment, uh, violence in many ways from the police, from passers-by. They were very unpopular in what they were doing, but um, they succeeded in bringing about a kind of transformation in public consciousness in, in, in building uh, movements that were impossible to ignore and that one, in a kind of nonviolent way, fundamental policy changes to reduce injustice. And I, I sort of feel like we're at a bit of a stage like that in society where uh, we have a very few years to address this fundamental injustice, this fundamental violation of people's right to survival, right to security, right to a safe planet. Um, and so I, that's where I draw my hope from, I guess, is the history of nonviolent action and, and the belief that hundreds, thousands of people who are committed and willing to act according to their conscience and willing to face the, the consequences of that can bring about transformational changes in society. Yeah. And Lynn, you you were part also of On to Ottawa. Talk about it. Talk about why you yes, were part. Yes, um, mm-hmm. I've been in touch with On to Ottawa, but did participate in the actions right at this time, and I have done uh, civil disobedience uh, four other times in, in my life, and I have found um, that they were effective, especially if part of a campaign for a particular goal. For example, we shut down the, um, the air show in Hamilton that was a Father's Day air show, and those are all military jets, so it's like a war show, um, and um, we were able to get that uh, because the insurance was cancelled for the show, and the Hamilton stopped putting $100,000 a year into into their subsidy, and we were able to bring it to an end, and we did that through the civil disobedience. So it was part of a three-year campaign that also included uh, working with the uh, councillors, um, you have to look at the political level, too. It has to be strategic. It has to be part of a, an overall campaign, in my view, in order to get the lasting results that, that we want to see. And I, I did want to underline the transformation in consciousness that Michael mentioned. 
uh, and not standing for business as usual. And in a way, the um, nonviolent direct action dramatizes just how bad it is and how urgent the action is. And I've just been reading about climate defiance in the U.S., which has been uh, disrupting fundraisers and events put on by politicians that are funded by fossil fuel companies that, that really are not, they're, they're being too slow, like we're being too slow about that transition. In some ways, things are starting to change, but they're not changing fast enough. Um, and that's really why we're doing this big action on Saturday, which we hope everyone in Toronto will come out to, uh, 11 a.m. at Queen's Park. Um, it's to end fossil fuels, and the website is in fossilfuels.ca uh, for details in that covers the demos all across Canada taking place 15, 16, 17th. It's a global day of action. So I think these like really large actions really work well together with um, the smaller actions of greater risk uh, that Michael's been talking about. Uh, but we really have to stop uh, having any more new fossil fuels. We have to phase out the existing uses of fossil fuels, stop the greenwashing, um, and end the, the corporate capture of our government. And I focus a lot on Ontario, and that's where you were an MPP and my co-worked there as well in, in, at Queen's Park, that um, they just put out a plan in August called Powering Ontario's Growth, and it's 100% reliant on nukes, a huge expansion of nuclear power, and on gas power. And gas power is fossil fuel, and by saying we're going to build these nukes, that's going to take years. It's going to take billions of dollars, and they're going to rely on the on the gas until then, which is going to greatly increase the, the, the pollution of the grid. So we don't have a clean grid, which means municipalities like Toronto that have a, a really good plan uh, for net zero by 2040 will not be able to achieve the targets. We can't achieve the targets if by electrifying everything, we are dependent on a grid that is fueled by fossil fuels. And the nuclear, as I say, where they want to double the largest plant in the world, that spruce plant, and and retrofit or rehabilitate the ones that are already there. Same at Pickering. Um, they want to extend the life, uh, left so-called lifespan of that plant and build four small modular reactors. And that is completely experimental. There's no operating small modular reactors anywhere in the world. And we could be doing renewables, and they're not doing renewables. It's not even in the plan, and people may know that when they first came into office, they shut down 758 renewable energy projects across the country. Also, um, it's banned to do offshore wind power, and this is something that we really need to rise up against, uh, sorry, against to the province. We need to be able, we need to say, all together, we don't want this gas power. We don't want these nukes. We want renewable energy because renewable energy is the cheapest and the fastest to put on the grid. Um, so I think uh, many actions are needed to achieve that. And I'm, I'm grateful for the work of the Ontario Clean Air Alliance. So that's cleanairalliance.org, I believe. And they are... Um, they have petitions about things like the wind power and uh, the nuclear and the gas. And um, I think it's really important for people to to uh, take action. I think time now is the time to stand up because there is no time left. 
and the transition is happening way too slowly. It's not happening fast enough, and it's only people power that will speed it up because the companies, the, the corporate capture of government is there. The companies are lobbying every single day. They spend millions every year lobbying for uh, a slow, you know, slowdown. We don't want to reach emission targets. And here in Ontario, the um, in the the companies or sort of corporations that plan our energy future are not uh, instructed to refer to our climate targets. Our climate targets are not in there anywhere, and therefore they're not coming out with a climate plan that uses renewables, that uses conservation, and that actually will help us achieve our targets. So people got to demand it. If we don't demand it, it's not going to happen, so that's why we're hoping we have a really strong turnout on, on Saturday. Uh, speaking here on the Radical Reverend Show, if you've just tuned in to a um, couple of phenomenal activists who who are activists out of their faith, uh, Lynn Adamson, Quaker leader, um, social justice activist who you just heard, um, has a well-known force in Toronto, and Michael Polanyi, who's in Ottawa, um, has always been involved in both the policy end and campaigning and activism coming out of a Unitarian background. I know Michael from my Queen's Park days. Um, uh, I'm going to go back to you, Michael, and you know how the political process works. You were there in the midst of it. Uh, the political parties run on funding, and uh, of course, long, long, long have we been, uh, well, some of us, many of us, uh, trying to even get over first past the post and to have some more choice in, politi in politics, uh, to have every vote count, among other things. Um, but for now, we're, we've got three major political parties and one minor one um, uh, in Ontario. Uh, and uh, they're all dependent, very heavily dependent on money, money and donors to be able to get elected. We, we're better than the states. We don't quite have uh, the free-for-all they have down there where you have to be rich to run and you have to be rich to win. Um, but um, it's, still, it's still very much part of the landscape. Um, and so big oil and fossil fuels, um, as well as big agriculture, there's some major players in that that, that spread their money around. Um, and, uh, and, you know, are lobbying, as Lynn said, all the time. Um, and in, in a sense, we're not only dependent on fossil fuels, we're also de dependent politically on fossil fuel dollars. Um, what do we do about that, Michael? It's a big question, Sherry. Uh, really good question. Um, yeah, certainly, I think, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of work more at the federal level recently, and I, I certainly see the... Uh, the influence of industry industry associations over government policy, um, and we have departments, uh, you know, that are playing a fundamental role in shaping federal policy. Which uh, I'm thinking of Natural Resources Canada, which has a mandate to promote business, and then it also has a mandate to kind of oversee the sustainability of the forestry industry, for instance, or the mining industry, or or uh, the oil and gas industry, and we've seen so clearly the the sophistication and the um, the, the sort of power of, of lobbying and, and money um, over government policy, and and I think that's yeah, it's a huge constraint. It uh, it makes it very difficult for governments to uh, put in place kind of the fundamental reorientation of 
our economic system, which is which is needed to to move away from a kind of uh, growth-based system on a finite planet. We're seeing the effects of that um, more and more. Um, and I guess the 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 other piece, though, is is just that you know I I guess at the end of the day, I I do really believe in the power of citizens. I I really do believe in. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things I learned at Queen's Park. I just, you know, I remember we always, we were always paying attention to what was in the media. We were always paying attention to, you know, whenever a petition kind of reached a, a certain level where MPPs were kind of getting petitions across the province, that mattered to us. And, and we had discussions about, okay, how do we respond? You know, what is, what is our response to this concern about, social injustice to this concern about environmental degradation and destruction. And um, so I, I, I do believe that uh, an engaged and informed populace can have a huge influence on politicians. And I think we've, if you study history and uh, you see that states have power, but that power is contingent and it's contingent their authority is really contingent on um, the acquiescence, the uh, passivity, the um, uh, sort of obedience of societies and, and people at large. And so I, I just uh, sometimes, uh, I don't know, I remember this song, uh, you know, Andrew Cash, of course, and I was a big L'Etranger fan back in the 80s, and, and they had this song, and, and, and they said... Uh, you say the system's to blame for the this mess. Come on, the system's to some of those who don't care. And so I think there's something about that that it's our system is is corrupted and problematic. But at the end of the day, we can change it. Mm-hmm. Lynn, uh, what's really big in the news these days in Ontario uh, that has, of course, an environmental component, and that is the corruption and the scandal of the green belt and uh this show is no exception exception try to keep that very front and center in the public eye because that is certainly um it's already affecting polling um uh, doug ford's polling went down seven points in just a couple of days when the auditor general's report and then the integrity commissioner's report came out and pointed the finger right at his administration saying this is corruption, this was not done by the rules, um, this was not necessary in the first place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you think we can, I mean, that's one example of uh, something that, and, and I mean, the environmental aspect, of course, was is part of that. Um, even more part of it, I think, is just the trust that we have in government. And this is a government that was elected with a huge mandate, um, still polling in majority territory in the polls. Despite that, um, uh, can we keep it going, Lynn? <laughs> that and Absolutely. other issues. Absolutely, mm-hmm. we we have to keep it going, and people may not realize that it's, it's all connected. The um, Diane Fox, the former environmental commissioner for Ontario, who was fired by Ford because he didn't want any environmental commissioner, uh, having an overview, um, said that. Urban sprawl is Ontario's tar sands. That the impact on farming, on wetlands, on forests of urban sprawl is so destructive uh, and causes so much excess carbon emissions and makes people more dependent on driving. Michael talked earlier about bikes. Bikes and um, getting out of private cars is a really important part of reducing our emissions. And the 
takes us in the opposite direction, like everything they're doing takes us in the opposite direction, and that's because of the corruption, because they're actually uh, indebted to the developers and not to the people of Ontario, despite what they say. So it's the lying, and I think people have um, uh, realized that they're lying, which does um, uh, affect trust in government, obviously it erodes that, and I think people need to know that there are some politicians who are actually trying to speak up for us and trying to act for us and to differentiate uh, those. And um, we, need, we need some cooperation. Um, the, the, it, we would have a different government right now if the vote was not split uh, between the opposition parties. So they need to find a way to cooperate and collaborate with each other during the elections. And we need to have a fair voting system, um, which could be put in the next time we have a government that is not the Conservatives, we could have a fair voting uh, proportional representation system and we'd have more responsive government. And that is the reason why in a lot of European and other countries around the world, they get better governance because they have um, a representation that's actually related to what people voted for. Um, So we need to have an extraordinary agreement around cooperation for the next election, this is my view, and then we need to change the, the rules. But we'll only get any of this if the public wakes up and realizes that our future is on the line and it's being squandered in favor of billionaires um, with the current government. And it has to be massive, the response. Now, um, it's true that I think something like 87% of Ontario's population opposes opening the green belt. To, to land development. And people, in a massive way, understand that we don't need to do that in order to create housing. We have enough land in our cities, underutilized land, that could be um, developed and put housing of the kind people need in the place people need it, near transit and near their jobs. So I think um, we need to have people come out publicly in the streets. We need that. We also need people to contact their politicians, as Michael has said, you know, sign petitions uh, that actually show up. There's going to be a lobby day on September 26th. It's going to be focused on the gas plants. That's Citizens Climate Lobby, and I'm involved in in helping organize that with other groups like Climate Fast, which I'm co-chair of, and um, the Ontario Climate Emergency Campaign, which is recently formed campaign that has brought together 250 um, organizations across the province with a total reach of of nearly three-quarters of a million in terms of membership. So we could mobilize that membership. We're still working on how do we mobilize that membership to to speak out. And it's great to hear you say, Michael, that it does make a difference. The politicians do notice and they do feel they have to respond when they get these petitions in hand. yeah, so I think, yes, the Green Belt is an environmental concern, it's a climate concern, and it's a trust in government concern, absolutely. And, and I think we've already seen them rescind one um, property sale. They've already backed off a sale of one of these packages, and we need them to go back on all of them. We need them to restore the Green Belt um, in its entirety, and we need to keep pushing until they do. Um, and then at the same time, the next scandal is, is this energy future that they're planning for us, the nukes and um, gas power, which is not um, the energy future that's going to be good for us or for our kids. And 
Um, but, you know, if we don't rise up, that's what we're going to get. And I think that that's the purpose of these direct actions. They remind people, hey, folks, we really need to rise up, and we need to rise up now. This is, is urgent. Um, we also, I think, need to remember that the we're, we're aligned with other struggles. So, for example, migrant justice is very much linked to the climate. When we're making the world uninhabitable in so many parts, um, there are going to be more and more climate refugees. Uh, and we currently have refugees who don't have Status for All. So people can go to statusforall.ca and sign a petition right now to support them. They're calling on the government to fulfill a promise that was made to regular, regularize status uh, for migrants. So recognize that that struggle is linked. Recognize that food security is linked to um, to climate. We aren't, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, Michael talked about our, our temperature going up to two or three degrees the century. It might not sound like a lot to people, but it is devastating, and we're seeing the results in the uh, burning up of, of so much of our forest, and the forests are going from a carbon sink to um, a source of carbon. And, uh, you know, we're, we're lighting carbon bombs, so to speak, if you want to use that, that terminology, and we're allowing the financial industries, that would be the banks and the insurance companies, uh, pension funds to finance it. So I think any um, direct action and any kind of shareholder mobilization that goes to, to um, and, and petitions as well, that go to change what RBC sees as priorities and what um, the insurance companies are willing to guarantee, those are really important. There's a, a bill that the Senator Rosa Galvez is bringing in um, that is around financial transparency because if you actually get through it, like this, this Greenbelt thing, we wouldn't be here in this place if we didn't have the Auditor General's report. She shone a light on what was going on there, and that's what Rosa Galvez wants to do more broadly, um, to shine a light on the financial um, feelings that are going on so that it's, it's the stranded assets aspect that may scare companies away from continuing on the current path. They think they're making tons of money right now. They look view it that way um, in fossil fuels, but it is going to collapse and our whole um, life systems will collapse at the same time too if we don't voluntarily change course. Yeah, Lynn, um, I just, I'm going to have to interrupt okay, just for sorry, a minute yes. so that Go we ahead. take a break, uh, which we will, um, and uh, and listen to a tune. But just hold on there out there in listener land and come back because there are so many things to talk about still with Lynn Adams Adamson, who's Quaker activist, uh, Michael Polanyi, Unitarian activist. Um, and we're, we want to talk about what faith's got to do with it. But also, um, we haven't even mentioned the Indigenous um, uh, role here, who really are... Um, on the front lines of this of this struggle to uh, maintain our planet um, and unions too. So all of that and more when we come back. Stay tuned. In the early morning. Okay. 
big 707 said to go But I'm stuck here on the grass Where the cold winds blow Well, the liquor tasted fine And the women all were fast There she goes, my friend She's rolling now at last Hear the mighty And we are back. The Radical Reverend Show. Wasn't that soothing? Are you all calm now out there in listener land? Early morning rain, the Traveler's classic. Um, it harkens to a world that huh, is happy, right? <laughs> Michael Polanyi, um, uh, activist, uh, former uh, Queen's Park staffer, uh, now based in Ottawa, and Lynn Adamson, a Quaker leader um, and activist based in Toronto. We're talking about climate action and what we can do and uh, what all sorts of things have to do with it, um, including faith, which I'm going to get to. But before we get to that, um, we wouldn't be talking about the climate and the action um, around saving our planet if we didn't mention that Indigenous folk in this country and other places are at the front line of that. Um, I was thinking just in our church on Sunday, uh, uh, we had a wonderful speaker talking about Grassy Narrows. By the way, there's a demonstration coming up to stand with them on the 27th of September. Um, this is a community that's been without drinking water, talking about early morning rain um, for a long, long time. Michael, what about the role? And you, you mentioned we started off talking about BC and um, the role Indigenous there have played too in, uh, in defending land. Uh, yeah, well, um, certainly there's not going to be any kind of sustainable planet or transition to a sustainable planet without uh, respect of Indigenous rights, land title, um, and a deep respect of Indigenous ways of knowing Indigenous knowledge. Um, and, I mean, I think 
something like 80% of biodiversity globally is um, biodiversity and habitat globally is is on indigenous territories. We know that uh, indigenous people for generations have um, understood at a, in a very deep way uh, the the sacredness of land, uh, the sacredness of all living beings, the uh, connection between um, uh, between us as humans and uh, and all other species. And so, you know, as we live in uh, a situation where we're in a, of course, a, a climate crisis with rising emissions and atmospheric levels of carbon, and we're also in a mass species extinction crisis, uh, a million species at, list, at risk, um, and a rate of extinction hundreds, if not thousands of times the natural rate. And so, I mean, it, certainly unless we take seriously reconciliation, take seriously indigenous uh, land claims, land rights, and indigenous ways of knowing, um, we're not going to move away from a, an economic system and an economic model that's based on uh, exploitation of resources, maximizing profits based on um, this kind of artificial way of seeing humans as somehow separate or above from other species, separate from nature. Um, so I, and I think there are some signs of hope really just in terms of uh, we're seeing uh, an increase in uh, Indigenous-led protected areas across Canada. We're seeing uh, a national Indigenous Guardians program, and that's restoration of um, natural ecosystems led by Indigenous people. Um, and we're seeing, you know, we're recognizing that uh, we won't uh, stop or prevent uh, the massive wildfires that are um, going across country, the country unless we move away from a sort of extractive approach to industrial logging, but also unless we allow Indigenous people the, the support and the, the respect to carry out their traditional ways of taking care of forests and, um, and uh, you know, with, with circumscribed burning and, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's the, it's, it is deeply intertwined and, and we need to be fighting and standing in solidarity with Indigenous communities yeah. who are facing Thank threats. Can, mm -hmm. Oh, sorry Brilliant. to jump yes. in there, but um, can I just... Sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. ...add that the... The, uh, the day that we're talking about, there's September 27th, so Wednesday, 12 noon. It's starting at Grange Park and going to Queen's Park. And in the past, it has been Grassy Narrows focused. It has been this river run with a beautiful blue banners, very long, um, and that beautiful march up from Grange Park to Queen's Park. And this year, it is four Native nations together, uh, and they're really focusing on the the expectation that should be there, their right to free, prior, and informed consent, which is supported by the United Nations, and we're not recognizing it and supporting it here in Canada. So it needs our solidarity, um, uh, mainstream solidarity across all our communities and support um, for uh, justice for Indigenous nations. And as Michael said, we have to be allies because the, the, the wisdom that comes from the communities is really what we need to guide us into a different way of doing things. Not business as usual, not extractivism, but respect for nature, realizing we're part of nature, and realizing that there needs to be justice for, for all. And uh, Lynn, while I've got you on, um, 
let's move from the indigenous front um, for our, our planet. Um, one of the few times I've seen, uh, uh, we've seen Doug Ford back down was with the education workers strike. Um, you know, what has always shocked me since COVID that we don't ha haven't had a general strike in this province. Um, um, and, and now we're back, uh, schools are back, um, all the teachers are in negotiating mode at this point. Um, but I mean, there's an under, the, the link between good work, unionized work, and the climate. Um, wh where's the link there that we could possibly make? Yes, uh, very much so. And unions are very engaged and involved in the planning for and the carrying out and the funding for our uh, demonstration on Saturday. Um, we, Toronto and York Regional Labour Council is one of the sponsors. We're also a member of the Ontario Climate Emergency Campaign. So they're in for the long haul on the changes that we need because they know that a livable planet, like no dogs on a dead planet, right? The livable planet is part of uh, worker justice. Um, and we have, um, we will have a speaker from the, the union movement as well on, um, on Saturday. Um, you know, it would be really fabulous to have a, a general strike in Ontario. I do think there's enough going on that that's required, and, and it is true that that threat is what led to that victory that you just referred to. Um, so we know there's power there. There's power, and that's a, an example of it. So we, people talked about Sorry. the just transition, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is, is often the label that we use, mm -hmm. and the the government of Canada was pushed to come out with a sustainable jobs plan, or at least a plan for a plan. It's not detailed, um, and it doesn't include things like a youth climate core that we probably really need in order to do this transition. Um, but the concepts are there, and we're pushing for them, and we need to push the federal government to actually uh, realize a sustainable jobs plan that's serious, that's meaningful, that's funded. Uh, speaking again here on the Radical Reverend Show with um, Lynn Adamson, a Quaker leader, and also Michael Polanyi, a Unitarian, both uh, well-known climate activists in our province, one Ottawa-based, Michael, and one Toronto-based, Lynn. Um, we've, I, I really want to talk about faith. Um, I said something in a sermon on Sunday that if uh, activism is your core, and we should all be, <laughs> uh, but sometimes it gets very frustrating, right? Like you're beating your head against a wall and sometimes the head goes and the wall stays intact. Um, so what's faith got to do with this, folks? Uh, Michael, what's faith got to do with um, the struggle for justice and um, the struggle for a pla planet? Well, lots. Uh, I mean, at a societal level, I think we you look at uh, the role uh, faith communities have played, um, people of faith have played in acting according to their conscience on just a whole range of human rights, gay rights issues, um, peace and the peace movement I think of back to where I first got involved in the 1980s. The faith, faith communities were very prominent in fighting against uh, the arms race and the threat of nuclear war during the Cold War at that time. Um, and of course, going back to the civil rights movement, where you see, you know, of course, Martin Luther King and, and Gandhi in India, you know, both both kind of rooted in a tradition of spirituality, a tradition of love, um, but also a tradition of deep commitment to justice. So I, th I think that the historic record shows that faith communities can be on the front lines and can have a huge impact on fundamental 
questions of justice and human rights. Um, but I also sort of, you know, I think back to uh, over the years of, of activism and, and the people I've met along the way. And uh, it's uh, the people who have kind of brought a, a sense of love, even joy, a sense of enduring commitment to to the really difficult work of being an activist are often people that are associated with faith communities and that are thinking about, um, are doing the kind of inner work as well as the outer work in terms of sustaining themselves, in terms of deeply thinking about why they're engaged, um, you know, and, and, you know, certainly people like, uh, you know, Lynn, I think you and I have known each other for 40 years and, uh, Mm -hmm. and I worked for Kairos for a while and, uh, just was so blessed to meet people from uh, a whole bunch of faith traditions who uh, just uh, brought and bring this sustained engagement in the work. And so I just, I just think at an individual level and, a, and at a kind of historical level, the, the importance of faith people mm-hmm. being there, acting on their conscience and, and being on the front lines is, is so critical. And what about you, Lynn? Um, you're a Quaker yeah. leader. Uh, talk about how faith impacts what you do um, regarding the climate yeah. and our planet. Well, I very fortunately grew up from the age of 10 in the Quaker community, and that includes the summer camp experiences, where you experience the values like of, of community, of love, of connection, of responsibility. And we learned, in, um, we learned of the examples of uh, Quakers since the 1650s that had been making a difference in society and women valued equally with men ever since then. The work on uh, women's rights to vote, for example, um, civil rights, you know, the end of slavery, The uh, and I actually met people that were involved in the civil rights movement in the 60s, which is when I was at that camp, and I was inspired to dedicate my life to social change. But it comes from the heart. There has to be love there, and And I think that's where the sustaining part comes, you know, and you build a community and you can go back again and again for support. And music is is a huge part. Quaker meeting, silence is a huge part of finding our own center and our our conscience and our guide, because we really do try to reference what we call the inner light in um, how we make our decisions about how we live this one really important life. And I think we all need to realize our lives are, are really important and can make a difference. And we make more of a difference when we act together, when we act in solidarity, when we support each other, and when we have the values. And and that includes values of integrity, of simplicity, you know, live simply so others can simply love. And, you know, we don't value our lives in terms of material things, but in terms of our connections and relationships with each other and how we understand what the divine, you know, we're all living this creation, this beautiful gift, like it's a miracle every day that we wake up, that we have this beautiful living planet in a, in a, in a universe which is otherwise devoid of, of that kind of living beauty and complex beauty, and and it's a miracle that we're here, that we have the consciousness to make a difference um, and to uh, make deep connections with each other as as we do in the, in the struggle and support each other. So that's what I would say about faith. I come back to it, it keeps me going. It's, it is sustaining for the long term. You don't you don't give up just because you're going through a difficult period. I think perseverance, and perseverance was a huge part of the civil rights movement, of, of uh, freeing India from the colonial occupation. 
these um, and and that comes from the heart. It comes from faith, and um, I'm very grateful for having been introduced to to that as a basis. And I think it's something people can discover. Uh, we we know, all have life as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we 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 all have, of course, um, the shadow sides of our faiths. <laughs> as well in this world. Um, as, as you were speaking, Lynn, I was thinking, absolutely, you, you uh, personify what a Quaker should be to me. But then there was Richard Nixon. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, and, well, and, uh, I don't know. think he was ever a Quaker. I think he was maybe a, a, a grandmother or something might have been. But obviously, <laughs> it didn't pass on to Richard Nixon. So I know. The, um, no, yeah. I, I, yeah, I hear you. But I also yeah. think, as a, as a you know Christian minister, in my instance, you know, yeah. you don't have to you don't have to look too far to find um, Christians in profile positions that don't seem to be very Christ-like. Let's just leave it at that. Um, yeah. And 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 Michael as well. Um, uh, one of the things I just contribute to this uh, conversation, by the way, you're listening to the Radical Reverend Show in our, our last uh, 10 minutes here um, with Lynn Adamson, who is a Quaker leader, and uh, Michael Polanyi in the Unitarian Church, uh, and yours truly, Sherry DeNovo, um, uh, was a politician. Well, I guess I always will be, <laughs> um, and uh, United Church minister, is, um, is people in faith traditions tend to think long term, right? Like, Right, like most of us have faith traditions mm-hmm. that go back thousands of years, um, so you tend to think in, in long term because uh, I notice so often it, the frustration and the kind of doomerism that's out there is like, well, what about tomorrow? You know, what about next year? Yeah. What about the next election cycle? And um, and we all know that it took a long time to get here to where we are, mm-hmm. which is not a great place. Um, but, but, yeah, but often, exactly, it, it, we you know there yeah. are we measure our time in um, in 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 difference. I, I always think of a wonderful activist community, the Tibetan community. So shout out to the activists around that issue, um, and uh, again, absolutely dedicated to nonviolent action, and um, and, and you know the the conversation about next year in Lhasa, you know, <laughs> um, doesn't look very likely next year, quite frankly. Um, but, um, you know, and there's this call from the, the, the Bible, which is not about a physical place, but more a spiritual place. But, you know, in the Seder Supper, next year, Jerusalem, you know, it's a spiritual place. And so, um, yeah, we look forward to that. Uh, so, so um, apart from the demonstrations that are coming up, um, just to end on some, what should we be doing? Michael, what should we be doing other than, if we can, showing up at the demonstration? Sadly, I won't make Saturday. I've got a wedding. It's wedding season. Um, but other than that, what can we be doing and should be doing? Yeah, well, I mean, there's lots. But I uh, I wanted to come back to the discussion about On to Ottawa um, and just uh, uh, mention that... Uh, you know, I, I agree with what Lynn said about um, both. There need to be uh, winnable uh, demands, and there also need to needs to be a sustained campaign for um, for transformation um, to a sustainable uh, relationship with nature. And and so on to Ottawa uh, has its its initial demands are um, for a fifty thousand person national firefighting service um, to stop the the fires um, prevent and uh, stop the fires that are going on across the country. 70% of um, firefighters are volunteers, and so Canada has a huge shortage of, of people fighting these fires. Um, and then secondly, 
on to Ottawa is demanding a, uh, uh, a national citizens assembly that's, that would be uh, randomly sampled citizens to come up with a climate plan that isn't captured and influenced by the oil industry, but um, is consistent with uh, reducing emissions by 50% this decade. Um, and so the actions are continuing. The next round of actions, um, nonviolent civil disobedience actions, will be in Ottawa November, starting November 21st. Um, just encourage listeners to, to check out on to Ottawa. That's on number, number sign to Ottawa.ca. Uh, there are online talks happening. There are in-person talks, in-person nonviolent um, civil disobedient trainings happening over the next uh, eight weeks or so leading up to that. And, um, and so uh, uh, hope to see you at some of those. And so say that uh, website again. Um. On number sign to Ottawa. Ca. Okay. Yeah. And uh, at Lynn, apart from um, being involved in the Onto Ottawa movement and uh, Saturday and, and hopefully the Grassy Narrows as well as others, uh, demonstrations, um, what else should we be doing? Especially, um, maybe you could speak to what should we be doing in our faith communities if we're a part of one. Thank you. Um, I would encourage everyone to go to climatefast.ca and sign up for our newsletter because you'll constantly every month you'll get told here's what you can do this month um many many actions and you'll certainly find um petitions and so forth like cleanairlines.org has petitions um there's a lot happening we have fridays for future talking about intergenerational uh as a partner in our action on saturday and we know that the actions in 2019 that the climate strike the international climate strike made a difference it made toronto become more ambitious in our climate plan we know, so it's ongoing. We, we need to work with our um, city councillors. We need to talk to each other. We need to, uh, you know, it's hard to speak up sometimes and talk to people about the climate challenge, but the more we reach out, uh, the better, and there's many resources for that. So doing a little looking around for resources that can be helpful, and nfossilfuels.ca is the, the website for Saturday. And I would say bring it to your own community, the um, uh, there is a kit as well available through um, For the Love of Creation, um, which, if you know, look up For the Love of Creation. It's a project of Kairos and, uh, ah, yes. Faith <laughs> in the Common Good. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Faith in the Common Good is also another, another resource place. But that for having what they call faithful conversations. So within your community, your faith community, Bring that climate conversation there. So there's a whole kit of resources at For the Love of Creation that can help you with that. And that, I think, can nurture our hearts. And, and more the more we bring our hearts, like whatever, our fears, like the emotional issues we need to work through, uh, the spiritual issues we need to work through, to really, really put our full selves into this struggle, because it is about... Uh, the future, and, and those were young all around us now, the world we're creating for them and with them, and and that kind of partnership, and to believe, as Michael's been saying all through this, that we together can really make a difference. So if we stand up, push back, um, and speak out for what we value, the positive as well, you know, the renewable energy, the conservation, the community, the values of love and of caring for all and all of creation, then um, that, that is powerful. 
It is powerful. And we just have a, uh, a minute or so to wrap up here. And I want to thank um, my guest, Michael Polanyi and Lynn Adamson, uh, climate activists, as I know many of you out there are in listener land. So please uh, keep uh, your comments coming. I always respond. And if you have ideas um, about the show, let me know that too on the Radical Reverend Show. I'm easy to find, uh, C-H-E-R-I-D-I-N-O-V-O um, on social media. So uh, just send me a note there. Um, and, I, and I would just add to what our guests have been saying that uh, one of the things that faith teaches you is don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. Um, fear not. Uh, and, uh, there's, and, and, and also don't feel impotent. You have incredible power. Um, you really do. Each one of us does. And, uh, and just ask a politician about that noisy voice at all, all uh, candidates' meetings at the microphone. Um, you have a voice. You have power. Uh, use it. Until next time, I want to thank our techs behind the glass as well, Ryan and, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, and Julia. Ryan and Julia. Julia's new. Welcome, Julia, to the show. Until next time on the Radical Reverend Show. Take care uh, and be there. Bye.
Dr. Mouth's Rock and Roll 